Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Chuck Swindoll says, I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react. Normally, what do we hear? Well, why did you do that? Well, this is the way they did this to me here, and that's my background over the... And that's what? Never taking responsibility for our own actions. Let me read it to you again. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitude. Do you know someone who, when bad things happen to them, somehow are able to shift the blame to everyone or anything except their actions or behaviors? Their boss doesn't like them, or they weren't given enough information to perform their job properly or something, as long as it was someone else's fault. As Pastor Mark will be teaching, everyone has obstacles to overcome in life. The difference many times between success and failure is the way you respond to the adversity. David was no great man, but he was a man who relied on God to lead him, and that was the deciding factor in his life. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in 2 Samuel chapter 7 as he continues his series called The Life of David. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. By the way, when God put Jesus here and he was here as a man, remember initially the spirit right after he was baptized, the spirit drove him into the wilderness to allow Satan to tempt him. When Satan was tempting him, where did Jesus go? He went to the truth of the word of God three times. Where did he go to the truth from? The book of Deuteronomy. He went back to the Old Testament. See, all scripture is inspired. He went to the truth. And Proverbs 27, look down at verse 5. I'll read it to you out of the New Living Translation. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. See, that reminds me that every single one of us need people in our lives to help us run this race of life. We need people who are encouragers, but also those who, from time to time, because we all need it, will speak the truth and love to us. Now, see, if we know them and they love us and we can trust them, you can way easier receive that, whoa, 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 whoa. you sure? Mark, you know what you're doing? Mm, Maybe you're right. Way better than somebody that you don't have any idea who they are and they come and speak to you. So these relationships are good. Even though most of us don't want to be corrected, we all need to be corrected. Even though most of us don't enjoy once in a while having to lovingly confront somebody else, especially our friends, sometimes we have to learn to confront 
in love. So the Bible says that a true friend will tell you the truth, even if it hurts. Do you know what? That's really what a pastor does quite often. Because he's speaking things. Of course, God spoke to him first, and he's dealing with them, but we have to speak in love. It's great to have friends that care about us. And remember, God is our true friend. He gave us the whole counsel of God. And you pray for the pastors and the elders of this church and those that lead small groups and those that counsel. Our goal here is to lovingly give you the whole counsel of God so that when we stand before God as pastors and elders, we can say we're not guilty of the blood of innocent men and women or men and women who didn't get a chance to hear the truth. So you pray that we'll always have that great balance that we need, love, grace, and yet correction when the Spirit directs us. Now, back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. So after David got this whole message from God that he isn't going to be able to build, his son's going to be able to build, but his name is going to be in a lineage all the way through to the end of time. Verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Just go back 3,000 years in your mind. Can you see David in his home sitting before the Lord? He just got like the most impossible covenant given to him in the world. So he goes in, he sits before the Lord. Notice what he says. What a man am I. Praise God. God finally recognized who I am. Notice what he says. Who am I, O sovereign Lord? In what is my family that you have brought me this far? David went and sat before God. And he humbled himself, first of all, to a no answer. He humbled himself to the will of God. That's a sign of maturity. God knew that he didn't want David to build it. He responded to the truth, but gave him an amazing principle that his son would do it. So... First Chronicles 29 tells us that David, over the next few years, gathered all the materials so his son could build it. He didn't pout. He didn't get angry. He went to work for God. And he had it ready for his son. Now notice, let's just break these words down for a moment. He sat before the Lord. David got himself in a quiet place so he could reflect. I encourage you to make sure you have those times where you sit before the Lord. You cannot drive in your car and sit before the Lord. You cannot get on your exercise bike, like I do, and sit before the Lord. And I'm looking at Jerry. You can't have a golf club in one hand and be putting strokes and sit before the Lord. Ladies, you can't be painting, you can't be sewing, you can't be cooking, you can't be washing the car and sit before the Lord. If you're going to sit before the Lord, sit before the Lord and get what? Quiet. Now, why was he going to get quiet? Look at the next word. He said. David began 
a two-way conversation with God. He knew God was listening to him. We call that prayer. As David sat before the Lord, he began to think how blessed he was. David understood that he didn't deserve any of these blessings. How do I know that? Look at his next words. You have brought me this far. Let's just stop for a moment. How far has God brought you? Are you blown away of where he's brought you to? And what he's done in your life? How many of you have ever imagined five or ten years ago that you'd be in a church on a Wednesday night listening to some guy teach to you? How many think like, are you crazy? You would be there Christmas and Thanksgiving or whatever. That's about it, right? Look where he's brought you. And by the way, he's not through with you. Hallelujah. There's more to come. When you see him sitting before the Lord, two huge attitudes I want to give you. Two spiritual matured attitudes that we see right there in David in those little bit of verses. What attitude? An attitude of gratitude and an attitude of humility. See, he says, your servant. Ten times in this prayer that we're going to finish with, we see the word, your servant. Do you realize tonight that's who you are? Servant of God. That's humbling. That's a good thing. I love serving God. David realizes as he sits there that he's in God's presence. And he makes that statement as he begins to reflect, God, who am I that you brought me this far? Maybe tomorrow morning in your quiet time, ask God that. God, who in the world, what in the, man, look, at you brought me this far. It's amazing, God. And have that attitude of gratitude and that attitude of humility. Listen to Chuck Swindoll. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures and successes, than whatever other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance. It's more important than giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, and a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. Now, none of us can change our past. We can't change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play our part with the one string we have, and that string is attitude. And I love this statement. Chuck Swindoll says, I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react. Normally, what do we hear? Well, why did you do that? Well, this is the way they did this to me here, and that's my background over And that's what? Never taking responsibility for our own actions. Let me read it to you again. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. I just want to say this. In this fellowship, by and large, you guys are positive people 
filled with gratitude. Thank you. That's a blessing. Some pastors, when the congregation has to go through all kinds of changes, they're going, oh, I don't know what's going to happen to people. I'm going to get a 55 emails and whatever. And What do you mean you're going to have a movie outside, Pastor Mark? It should be inside, Pastor Mark. Why should it be outside, Pastor Mark? There's mosquitoes out there. We don't hear any of that. If you've said it, God help you. We haven't heard any of that. You guys are so good. I'm serious. You're a blessing. You're a blessing. I can go to another campus and people go, well, Pastor Dean's going to teach today. No, Pastor Marcus, but he's not here. Oh, he's on a screen. Yeah, like five billion other people watch. Thank you that you're not a gripey congregation. Praise God. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you. Now, sometimes our attitude is really good when things are good. But sometimes we need a little push for that attitude when things are not good. Let me read to you 1 Peter 1. So be truly glad there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Maybe you hear that. You're usually a very positive person. Usually you love it, but you're struggling a little bit. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. We all know that from time to time, testing and temptations are going to come from Satan. The key to all of that is our attitude. We don't want to get angry. We don't want to rebel. We don't want to be negative. We don't want to be grumble and complain. Certainly, we don't want to be discouraged and give up. Today, we've been reminded from the Bible that the Christian life, right in that verse, what we see with David, he gets a no answer, but he's not negative, he's not critical. We all have it. That's just simply life. So as these things come, have that positive mindset. That's who you are. Faith is going to be tested. It's okay. We're still servants of God. We can trust. We can have victorious attitude in our life. We can be confident. We know we can win. We can be positive. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Look at verse 19. And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? I thought about that verse a lot. David's basically saying, God, do you usually deal with people like this? Just bless them, the socks off of them? Well, think about that. What is David thinking back? How faithful so far has David been since God chose him as king? He's had plenty of ups, but he's had how many really disappointed God? I mean, many, surprise you as we've gone through it, hasn't it? How many times David failed, hasn't it? And yet, now he sits, and what's God do? He's forgiven all that, and he blesses the socks off of them. That's the God you and I serve. Do you know that? It doesn't make any sense. That's grace. That's grace. You live in it. I live in it. I love it. Let's give it to other people. We have to be like God. Let me show you on the scripture. Psalm 119. God, you have done many good things for me, Lord, just as you promised. 
I believe in your commands. Now teach me good judgment and knowledge. I used to wander off until you disciplined. Oh, I'd like to send this verse to somebody. I used to wander off until you disciplined me. But now I closely follow your word. You are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. All of us can write those verses. That's what David's thinking. God, is this your usual way of dealing with people? We wander off, do our own thing. We come back and you forgive us. And then you bless us on top of it. That's our God. Thank you, Lord. So this loving discipline, even that God gives to us in our life, is for a reason. And I want you to write this down. Don't forget it. From time to time, God brings us back up in my heart because I need to hear it again. God's ultimate goal is forgiveness and restoration. God didn't come to condemn the world. He tells us that in John 3.17. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. The world's already condemned. He didn't come to condemn them. And we have to be careful. God's discipline is evidence that we're sons and daughters of God. It's good for us. You know all the scriptures. I don't need to give them to you. So when you and I are going through a difficult time, don't let our attitude be not one of gratitude. Just thank God that he loves us enough to discipline or allow that test to come to build our faith. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, let me read just one to you. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as the father, the son he delights in. So when things are good, it's easy to have a positive attitude and gratitude there. But sometimes when we're either we've walked away or there's a big trial, it's a little more difficult. So we have to understand that that discipline that God's doing, here's the next thing you can write. It has a purpose. Biblical discipline is related to a goal. God allows these things into our life for one reason, for the person to become like Christ and then do life right. So God's trying to keep us on the path. He's trying to keep us going positive, doing the right thing. So God in your life knows what to bring in, a difficulty, a trial, a test. He allows Satan even to come so that we become more like Christ and our attitude is not gripey. We're not blaming other people. We're taking responsibility for what God's done because we know God's going to restore us. That's his goal. He's not trying to get rid of us, trying to restore us. Verse 20, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and have made it known to your servant. Look at verse 22. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. And there is no God but you, as we've heard with our own ears. There's no God like our God. How true that is. His love is beyond understanding. His grace defies human logic. His blessings cannot be numbered. Let's just say it together. There is no one like you, God. Here we go. There is no one like you, God. Amen. There's just no one like him. Is it possible? So next thing we see quickly, David looks at his past and then at the amazing grace, not just for him, but for the whole nation of Israel. Look at verse 23. And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform the great and awesome wonders by driving out nations, 
and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. Now, God, you've established your people Israel as your very own forever. God is not true with Israel. You'll hear some people say God's true with the nation of Israel. That is not true. During the tribulation, he's going to restore them. They're going to have their eyes open. You have established the people of Israel as your very own forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. So David just says boldly, God, here's your promise. Would you please continue to do it? God, just do as you promised. When you see promises in the Bible, it's okay to pray them and ask God to keep his promise. Because, by the way, he's always going to keep his promise. Let me give you a couple tonight. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will, complete it on, will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You might just want to say tomorrow morning, turn to Philippians 1, 6, God, you promised to complete that work in me. Keep at it. I'm willing to accept whatever you bring. Now, look at verse 25. Do as you promise, so that your name will be great forever. Isn't that amazing? David isn't thinking about who. He's not thinking about himself primarily. Who's he thinking about? The name of God. You don't need to write this last statement. But this is a true statement. David reminds us that life is about God. We are here to make God look good. He says, God, you keep that promise because we want to make sure that the world knows you're good. You're God. Look at verse 27. Oh, Lord Almighty God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant. This is an amazing prayer, David wrote, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy. They're true. All true. Nothing but the truth. And you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. David showed submission And that was a sign of of great, great maturity. So that attitude of gratitude and humility brought blessing to David right then and to the whole lineage. God would be glorified through the whole world because King David, the lineage, Jesus Christ. Last thing I want you to write is this one. Being submitted to God's will brings his blessing. The way to be blessed by God is to be submitted to his will because under his will is the blessings of life. Even if it includes a trial, even if it includes a difficult time, those are blessings from a loving Heavenly Father who knows what we need. Today in Pastor Mark's teaching on the life of David, he taught about the importance of knowing God's truth as revealed in the Bible. David, even though he wasn't perfect, was always trying to get closer to God. As a result of his pursuit of God, God was able to accomplish his will through David. This is a prime example of how you should be leading your life, always following God. 
Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. We have multiple campuses to reach those living in Melbourne, Sebastian, and Vieira. All campuses meet each weekend and on Wednesdays to spend time collectively raising our voices in worship to our Most High God and studying the truth and blessings found in His Word. For more information, directions, and service times, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on the church link at the bottom of the page. This completes another portion of Pastor Mark's teaching through the life of David. Next time, he will pick up with David's prayer to God regarding the promises God had made to him and his family. You'll also learn about the importance of making and keeping promises, even if they aren't easy to do or if you get pushback from other people. Having integrity is the key. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living and together, let's do life right. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.